that I think would probably be a better word of mowing my yard. Like there's nothing that drives me crazier than having to mow my... Well, there's a lot of stuff. I take that back. Let me dial it back just a little bit and say it really frustrates me. And the reason it frustrates me is because it feels like a waste of time. And here's what I mean. So I get out there and I mow and I go down and I come back. I mow and I go down and I come back. And you know what happens the next day? Or even maybe the same day? That grass is already growing again. Right? And if I'm really into my yard, then I'm going to water it, I'm going to nurture it, and it's going to grow even quicker, which means I'm going to have to mow it even more often. I really don't like doing things that seem pointless. And for me, one thing that seems pointless about as anything else is mowing my yard. I'm going down and back, just walking around in circles, not ever getting anywhere. And you're like, well, I love mowing my yard. Yeah, i got a push mower. If you've got a riding lawnmower, you are not in this discussion. Like, I have to push it, right? It's not that it's hot. It's not that it takes forever and all that. It's just the fact that, man, I'm just going to have to do it tomorrow. I'm going to have to do it the next day. I'm going to have to do it next week. And so there are occasions where I may or may not put off mowing my yard past the point that I should have mowed it. Not as often as my neighbors, but, you know, still pretty often. And there are times where it rains or things come up, and before I know it, I have a hay field or a mini hay field growing in, and especially in my backyard because nobody sees that, right? And so that's the easier one to sort of forget about. Well, that, this is what happened this past week. And so the other day I was getting ready to leave, and, and I noticed in the backyard, I was like, man, where did all that grass come from? If I don't do something, somebody's going to get on a snake in that backyard. They're not going to be able to see it. Well, I'm not going to say I'm a prophet necessarily, but that same day, I come home from work, and, and I walk in the house, and I look, and our dog is sitting there, and like she's swelled up on one side, and I'm like, she got bit by a snake. I hit Crystal, what happened? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what happened to poor little Lulu. She's looking at me like, somebody please help me. My mouth is swollen, you know, I'm drooling over here. And so I go outside, and I look, and sure enough, I walk up, I'm like, i got to mow now, i got to see where the snake is. And so I'm, as I'm walking up the hill, sure enough, I'm going to step on this little snake and it, it gets away. It's the kind that, really some of the worst kind because you can't even see it, right? I mean, it's just gone. And, and so needless to say, before that dark that afternoon, my backyard was pretty scalped. Lulu's okay, by the way, for those of you who are worried, you, you, you animal lovers. She's fine. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a real poisonous snake. It was just a little black snake of some sort. So she, she's fine. Next day she's okay. I know you were worried about that. Zoe was worried about that. Everybody's okay. But it reminded me of how if we don't do the stuff that sometimes seem pointless, we can get behind. And before we know it, things are getting out of control and things we really wish we would have done. Like, I mean, you think about it. Brushing your teeth. You're going to have to do it every day. Showering. We all appreciate it when you do this every day. Like, that's a good thing to do. Not only that, but going to work. Guess what? You went to work this week. Guess what you're going to have to do next week? Go back to work and continue going over and over again, paying your bills, paying your taxes. These are things that if you don't do and keep a handle on, you get yourself in a lot of trouble. You get yourself in a mess before you know it. But in the middle of it sometimes, it can feel like we're walking around in circles. It can feel like we're not ever getting anywhere. And so as I looked at this passage of Scripture, God was just teaching me this week that sometimes when we're walking around in circles, we're going straight to where He wants us to be. Sometimes when it feels like we're not getting anywhere, we are exactly where he wants us to be. And so I want us to look at Hebrews 11, verses 30 and 31, and see that sometimes even walking around in circles gets us straight to where God wants us. And so Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 30, By faith, 
The walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And then verse 31, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And so where are these walls? Who are these people? What is going on in Hebrews 11.30 especially? We'll look at this and we'll go back and we'll look at Rahab here in a minute. So what's the story behind these walls that are falling down? What's the story behind Jericho? Well, it's basically the same story that we've looked at as we've walked through the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We see that God has pulled his people out of Egypt. They are following a man named Moses to the promised land. Before that, he had promised Abraham some 400 years, your people are going to come and they're going to dwell in the promised land. Well, they're slaves in Egypt, so he raises up Moses to set his people free. And they walk out of Egypt, they walk across the Red Sea, and they walk to the promised land. They're finally where God told them, hey, you go over here and you'll be in the promised land. You'll finally be where I want you to be. And so they get all the way up to the edge of the promised land, and they send in 12 spies. These 12 spies go in and they look at the land and they come back and they give everybody a report. And the report is basically this. Ten spies say, hey, listen, those dudes in there are massive. They're big. Like we come up to their knee and if we go in there, they are going to thump us. They're going to thump us hard and it's going to be over before we even know it. There's no way we're going in there. In fact, we're pretty sure the ground swallows people whole in there. Like this is not the place for us. This is a scary place. But then Joshua and Caleb, they come and they say, hey, listen, we're not going to lie. There's some pretty, pretty big guys in there. There's some pretty tough uh, armies in there, but I'm pretty sure we can take them. They don't say pretty sure. They say we are definite. We can take them because God is going to be with us. The people don't listen to Joshua and Caleb. They listen to the other ten, ten spies, and they say, no, we're going to go back to Egypt. We're going to go back. We don't want to go in and die. We want to live, right? And so they rebelled against God. And so God says, I'll tell you what, I promised you this land. I told you you could have this land. I proved it to you through all these signs, through all these wonders, through all these miracles, and still you're rebelling against me. No one who saw what I did in Egypt is ever going to set foot in the promised land. You people who are too afraid to move forward by faith will die in the wilderness, and I'll let your kids go in because you will not follow me in faith. And so that's exactly what happens. They go out and they walk in the wilderness for 40 years in a big circle, circle after circle after circle. And one by one, or sometimes many by many, the people who had saw God do amazing things and refused to follow him died out. And then comes time, and God says, okay, now you're going to go into the promised land. Moses passes away. Joshua becomes the leader. And he leads the people into the promised land, and they begin to get ready to take over what God has given them. They begin to take the promised uh, uh, the promised land that God had given them. And so God says to Joshua, okay, Jericho's your first stop. It's this big fortress city. It's a strategic place to, to attack this land. Go in, take Jericho, uh, and then we'll go from there. And he says, uh, by, by the way, Joshua, these people aren't done walking in circles yet. In fact, they're going to walk for seven days around this place that they're about to invade. In fact, on the seventh day, they're going to walk around it seven times. And on the last part of the seventh day, they're going to blow their, their horn and it's, and it's going to be over. The walls are going to fall down and you're going to walk straight in. And so the people hear God's voice, they listen to God's voice, and they do it. They get up every day out of bed, they get themselves ready, they get themselves dressed, and they go and they walk around the city. And then they walk home. They get up. They get ready, they walk around the city, then they walk home. All the way to the seventh day, and to where they walk around it seven times, blow their trumpet, 
the walls fall down, and they walk straight in to God's promises for them. To which you may be saying, that sounds kind of familiar. I get up, I get dressed, I drive to work, I drive home, I go to bed, I get up, I get dressed, <laughs> right? I mean, eventually it kind of feels like you're just walking around in circles. You're going back and forth, like one day runs into the next. And so we can understand that their frustration maybe. God says, I got good things for you, I got big things for you, but before you get there, you just got to walk around in circles. God, I feel like you're just making me walk around in circles here. And he's like, that's exactly what I'm doing. I mean, our frustration, I think, sometimes with God is we expect him to say, do this, this, and this. Give me some action steps, God. Give me some next steps. Give me an action plan. Give me a plan of attack. And he says, no, I want you to do something that's completely passive. I don't want you to attack Jericho. I don't want you to siege the city. I don't want you to build ramps to walk up the sides of the walls. I just want you to walk around them. I don't want you to do anything. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? Just to keep on doing normal, everyday stuff, passive things. God, I want, I want to do something great. I want to do something amazing. And he's like, just keep being faithful to me. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Day after day, get up and go to work faithfully in my name. Then you know what happens? You look back and you're like, man, 50 years of marriage. How in the world did we make it? By God's grace, every day having faith, right? How do we make it through raising those kids? By God's grace, by faith. How did I make it through that time that I didn't think I was going to make it? How did I make it through that time I lost that person I love? By God's grace, just by faith, one day after the other. How did I make it when, when that person you know, left me? Or how did I make it when that person decided they hated me? By God's grace, by faith, one day after the other. Not saying I'm going to do anything amazing or crazy, but I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'm going to take the next step he puts in front of me. I'm going to let him handle the rest. That's what it means to walk by faith. And, and you never know what God's going to do as you do that. Listen to verse 31. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not die with those who had been disobedient because she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. I mentioned a minute ago that there were 12 spies originally when the people first walked up to the edge of the land. Well, the second time they walk up, they send in two spies. And these two spies, they go in and they view the land and they especially look at Jericho. Well, the king of Jericho hears there's some Israelite spies in his house. And so he says, i got to get rid of these spies. And he hears that they are at Rahab the prostitute's house. Rahab's house, not to, to throw any shade on the spies, but Rahab's house was the house of a prostitute, but it was also the very edge of the city. Like if you're trying to escape and you're trying to get out and you're trying to be quiet, you'd go to the house that's on the city's wall. And so they go and they hide at her house and so... The king of Jericho sends some men in, some soldiers, and says, Rahab, where's the spies? And she says, oh, I saw them. They went that way. And the whole time they're at her house. She hid them, protected them, and kept them safe. And so the men leave, the guards leave, and after they leave, we come to Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. She goes up and she sees them, and she says this. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and then verse 9, and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Then if you were to look at verse 12, it says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign 
that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. She is saying, I know that you follow the one true God and that when you get done, there's not going to be anybody left. And so I'm asking for you to save me. I'm asking for you to save not only me, but my family. I'm asking you to preserve our lives. She is saying, I know there's one God and I want to worship him. She's saying, here's my chance for salvation to walk away from the false gods and find the one true God that everybody around, instead of worshiping all these false gods around me. And so the men say in verse 14, And the men said to her, Our lives for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And so Rahab lets the men down. They run away. They're able to escape. And so when Joshua and the people of Israel walk up on Jericho and God causes the walls to fall down, Rahab and her family escape God's judgment. They escape and God saves them. And you say, why is this a big deal? Why why is it a big deal for Rahab to be saved? She helped the, the spies out. Well, the reason why this is such a big deal and why this shows us God's grace is first off, Rahab's a part of a people that are not nice people. These are people who like to burn their babies in the fire. These are people who like to kill other people just for fun. These are wicked people that God is judging using Israel to do so. In fact, he tells Abraham, he says, listen, I'm going to give them 400 years, and after that 400 years, judgment's coming. And so they've had 400 years to clean up their act, and for 400 years they've continued to be wicked. They've continued to mistreat everyone they come across. And so God sends in Israel to judge them. Rahab's a part of those people. Not only that, she's not even really an acceptable part of those people. In fact, she's so unacceptable that her house is so far on the edge of town, if you go any further past Rahab's house, you're not even in the city anymore. Like they have put her on the very edge and get as far away from her as possible because she's not uh, even acceptable to them. So we have Rahab here who's not acceptable even to the people around her, and they are all so wicked and cruel that God is sending a people in to to cleanse the land, basically. And so God, in His grace and in His mercy, offers her a chance to be a part of His people, to become someone who worships Him. She's offered salvation. By, by faith, Rahab says yes. And because she says yes, Rahab goes from being a prostitute to being a princess. She goes from being someone who was selling herself, selling her body to being someone who God calls a princess. Think about this, guys, in Matthew's gospel. In the very first part of Matthew's gospel, Matthew lays out for us Jesus' genealogy, the people who uh, are Jesus' family, his ancestors. Guess who's in that list? Rahab. God used Rahab the prostitute as part of the line that brings about the Savior of the world because... She had faith. Not because she did anything extra, but but simply because she believed. And so what sets her apart from all these other people who disobeyed? When, When you look at verse 31 of Hebrews 11, it says that she did not die with those who were disobedient. In other words, these people knew what God was about. They knew what God was about, and they had a chance to surrender. They had a chance to repent, and they never chose to repent. They never chose to walk away from all these things they were doing. They did not believe but Rahab did. Why? What's the difference in Rahab's life from all these other people? 
Well, we see that when she gives them her reasoning in Joshua chapter 2, verse 10. Joshua 2.10, we, we read this. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as, you, as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, Yahweh, your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. In other words, Rahab said, when we heard about your God, and heard that you worship the one true God. I knew that he's the only God worth worshiping. I knew that there was only one God to worship. In other words, the way that God worked things out in your life testified to me that God is truly powerful and that God is real. Think about it, guys. The way that, that God had provided victory for the Israelites was actually the testimony needed for Rahab to say, that's the God I want to worship. The Israelites have been walking around in circles. You can just imagine them walking around in circles for 40 years in the wilderness. Thinking, man, God, where are you at? Why aren't you doing something here? Why are you making us just walk around, walk around, walk around? And so God would say, take a left. And they would take a left. And there would be a king who would say, you're not coming through here. And God would say, oh, yes, they are. And he would provide a way. They would be like, I'm hungry, and God provides food for them. They'd be like, I'm thirsty. God would provide water for them. And as he did these many different things in their lives, the whole time, people are hearing what God is doing. They're hearing these people that are walking around in circles. They have the one true God. They have the one mighty God. And so as God is working in Israel's life, he's also working in Rahab's life. He's also changing Rahab's life by witnessing to her who he really is based on the testimony of this witness of these people who thought they were doing nothing more than walking around in circles for the last 40 years, who thought they were doing nothing more than waiting on God to finally do something. He had been speaking to the people in the land that they were headed to. See, Rahab sees the power and glory and wonder of God and says, I want that. I want a God of power. I want a God of compassion. I want a God who treats his people with love and grace. I don't want one of these fake gods that can't do anything, that asks us to do these terrible things. Rahab said, Rahab said, give me the one true God, the God of the universe. And all because Israel, in spite of their whining, in spite of their grumbling, because they did, as you read through the, the wilderness wanderings, you see a group of people who are ungrateful. I mean, they complain about everything non-stop. God tells them to do something, they whine. God tells them to do something else, they whine. God, they ask for something, God gives it to them, and they whine about that. I mean, it's non-stop whining and complaining the whole time. But even in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all their brokenness and all their messed upness, God is using them to speak to people like Rahab, someone who hears of the true God, the God in heaven and in earth, and says, I want to worship Him. I want to follow him. Guys, maybe this morning, that's what he's doing in your life. You may feel like you're walking around in circles. You may feel like, man, I, I just got through fighting this battle last week. Well, you mean, God, I've got to fight it one more time? I've got to go through this again? Every time we come against another struggle, every time it feels like we take another lap around the same yard, cutting the same grass, God could be using us to speak to someone like Rahab who has no other hope, 
who has no other option, who sees no other option in her life. And she hears, oh, there's a true God. There's a God who actually has compassion on his people. There's a God who can actually change your life. I need that salvation. And so when they hear of how you're working through your situation, they hear how no matter what troubles you come up against, you believe on Him and you walk with Him and you're faithful with Him, however imperfect, they hear, oh, you worship the one true God. That's somebody who I want to worship. No matter what you come against, you're able to keep going? How is that even possible? Well, you see, I have the one true God. I have the Holy Spirit in me who guides me, who directs me, who leads me each day. Guys, it could be there's a Rahab in your life that God's wanting to speak to through you. And he wants to use what you're going through to speak into their life. And it may be that God is calling you to do some of the most boring things possible. You're thinking, how in the world could he ever use me to just keep going back and forth to work every day? How is that going to help anyone? I get it. It gets hard sometimes when we don't see an immediate need or an immediate purpose met. But the truth is, is sometimes that's when God actually is going to be working the most in our life. I'm sure if you ask some folks here this morning, just talking about work, I'm sure if you ask some folks here this morning that are further down the road than you, some folks who are a little older than you, did you pass up on stuff when you were younger because you didn't think it made any sense uh, that you regret I'm sure if we did a survey this morning uh, of, of some of our, of our older folks, they would be like, yeah, I really wish I could go back and, and double down on some of those things that I didn't think was all that necessary. I, I mean, I, I can speak from personal experience, and I'm not even that far down the road. I'm further than some and not as far, far as others. But, I mean, I'm already starting to learn the, the meaning of that phrase. If I would have known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. Like, I understand What's going on when we look back at our life and say, man, I really wish I would have paid more attention to that. I really wish I would have tried a little harder at that. And so those things that we think don't matter, those things that we think are a waste of time sometimes, that's actually what God wants us to focus on and do. Just because we don't see something happen immediately doesn't mean it's not something that He wants to use. And if that's true physically, how much more so is it true spiritually, guys? Over and over the Bible tells us that we are not made for this world, that this world is something that we're passing through, that we are pilgrims here. And if that's true, if we're spiritual beings, then where should we put the most focus? Where should we put the most effort? How often should we do everything we can to point our mind and our hearts back to where we're ultimately headed? Even though it feels like we're walking around in circles of where God would have us to ultimately be, sometimes He's using those things to grow us, to strengthen us? I mean, what if you looked at uh, your job as a place rather than a place that you have to go back and forth to work every day, but as a place where you have a captive audience to display your faith in God? What if you used that job place, not necessarily go around preaching at everybody, that doesn't display anything usually, besides, you know, arrogance. You know, but, but what if you use that as a, a place where you can go in and you can be joyous in the midst of suffering? where you can share hope in the midst of of heartache, where you can be that person who when everybody else says, man, my life is falling apart, they say, I I know who I'm going to go talk to. I know who I'm going to go ask how I should deal with this. What what if you saw it as a place to make friends, lifelong friends that you can invest in and lead them to Jesus? 
What if you saw it as an opportunity to prove God's faithfulness to you as you walk with Him each and every day? Before you know it, you've made an eternal difference in the people around you's lives. Or what about, you know, that person that is giving you problems, the person giving you issues? What if, what if the way that you treat them speaks to someone else in your life? What, what about the, the situation you have going on in your life? You say, there's no way I'm getting out of this. What if the way that you approach that in faith, others say, man, you have a real God who you actually depend on. What, what if you saw your life more as a chance to, to love the Lord and trust Him no matter what you face and less as an everyday grind that means nothing? What if you saw those days where it looks like you're just getting nowhere as an opportunity to have God speak to you? I, I know, again, I, I mentioned earlier, I, I really hate wasting time. And so this week it felt like I did that some because I had to wait on some folks to come. Uh, you know, one of them never showed up, and so I was sitting here. I think it, it was Friday morning, and I, I was waiting on them to come in uh, and uh, take care of some stuff for us. And I was like, man, I really got some other stuff I could be doing. I'm sitting here wasting my time. I'm sitting here worrying. I'm not getting anything done. And God was like, yeah, but you could be spending some time with me while you wait. I was like, oh, yeah. Quit preaching to me, God. I got, I got to preach to other people, right? I, but sometimes... When we take a, a, a second glance at what's going on in our life, it becomes less about the moment. It becomes less about trying to get to where we're going, and it becomes more about, hey, I can worship Him right here, right now. I don't have to get to my destination today. I can worship Him right now in this place during this time. And I, I just wondered this morning, if you're looking at your life and, and you look at your situation, you say, I can't figure out what's going on. I can't figure out where all these problems are coming from. I can't figure out why it feels like I can't get anywhere. I wonder if maybe you've neglected some of those things God calls us to do that maybe you feel like is too passive, like prayer. I, I just, I don't know. I don't feel like I can spend that much time in prayer. I feel like maybe, you know, if I went out and actually did something, God would be happier with me. But prayer has a way of cutting out the weeds in our life. has a way of cutting the grass back down to where we can see what's going on. Getting time in His Word, spending time with His people. It may feel like sometimes that that's, we could be doing something else with that time, but, it, but that's what God uses to cut the, the grass down to where we can actually see what's going on. Don't allow your neglect to so cause your life to get full of weeds and grass and stuff like that that you miss what God is actually trying to teach you. You miss what actually is causing you problems. Just be faithful day in and day out, putting your trust in Him, walking with Him, taking another lap around the city if that's what it takes for you to get to where He would have you to be. In the first place that, that we start each day is with forgiveness. God, I need your grace. I need your mercy. God, I, I need you to strengthen me. Like, that's a daily prayer. But I'm, I don't know about y'all, but I'm sure if God got bored and he got sick of dealing with the same stuff every day, he'd get sick of dealing with me. God, I need your forgiveness again. Yeah, you were just here yesterday, weren't you, John? Or you were just here an hour ago, weren't you, John? But God every day offers us a fresh start. Every day he offers us a clean slate through his grace, through Christ. Christ went to the cross to pay for our sins. He went to the cross to, to take out and to forgive us for all the things that separate us from him. And, and he says that stuff that separates you from me, that stuff that causes you to not think about me, that, that sin that creeps into your life that causes you to wonder if I still love you, if you come to me and you say, Lord, I, I need your forgiveness, guess what he does? He takes away your guilt. He takes away your shame. And he offers you a brand new start. 
Not just in the morning, in the afternoon. Sometimes you've got to pray in the morning, at lunch, and in the evening, right? Sometimes in between. Not just for the little sins, not just for the big sins, not just for the sins we already committed, but for all of our sins. When He forgives us, when He offers us grace, it's for all the sins, even the sins we haven't even done yet, even the sins we're going to do, God offers us forgiveness. He offers us grace. And Jesus says, whoever will follow me will not perish but have everlasting life. And and so it, it doesn't matter how pointless we may see something. God uses whatever we're going through to teach us who he wants us to be, to grow us into who he wants us to be. Maybe this morning you're thinking, I, I don't know. I feel like I should be doing something else. And he's like, no, Jesus already took care of all of that. You just follow me. You just trust on me. You believe on me and I'll take care of the rest. And so I, I want to encourage you this morning, if, you've, if you look at your life and you say, man, I, I've really neglected a lot of stuff. You know the first place you need to start? Lord, I, I need your forgiveness. Second place you need to go, his word. Pray his forgiveness and then spend time with his people. That's what these people did for an entire week. They were the laughing stock of Jericho. But at the end of that week, they walked straight to where God would have them to be. And the whole time, God was making them who he wanted them to be and showing everyone around them who he is. And the whole time also, he was offering forgiveness and grace that whoever would receive it, including Rahab, one of the people of that city. And so I wonder this morning, Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you trusted on him? Have you believed on him? If not, would you this morning? Would you say, Lord, I need you to save me? I need you to forgive me? And if you have and you're walking with him and it feels kind of stale, your relationship with him feels kind of boring, spend some time with him. Spend some real time with him in his word. Take a second look at your life and ask ask him, God, where are you working? And I just don't see you at work. Where are you moving? And I just don't see you in action. And ask him to show you those things and ask him to give you the strength you need to to commit yourself to them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your grace and I thank you for your mercy. God, I thank you for your love and, and the way that you show kindness to us every day, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. God, I thank you for the, the salvation that you offer for us in Jesus Christ and the cross uh, that he went to. Lord, I pray that we as your people uh, would learn from who Rahab is, and learn from who these people were. And God, that no matter how mundane it may seem sometimes, Lord, that we would continue to follow you. God, that we wouldn't be looking for ways to help you out, but God, that we would see all the things that you are doing in us and through us. Lord, I pray that you would reveal those things to the folks who are gathered here this morning. God, that they wouldn't walk out discouraged, but encouraged, knowing that you are working in their life, knowing that they are, they are being used by you. Lord, I pray that you'd make us aware of those people in our life who need hope, who need encouragement, who need strength, and that you would give us the grace we need to show them that strength and show them that encouragement. And Lord, I do pray, I pray if there's anyone who doesn't know you here, God, that they wouldn't leave here not knowing you, but that they would come to know you this morning through Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as you stand? We're going to sing, and as we sing, if you would like, would you come?
Thank you guys for being here this morning. I want to remind you that tonight at